Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Faster Masters Rowing Radio. I'm Rebecca Caro, and this is where having a rowing coach only makes you better. Following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident rower who is respected by your peers. You can become the athlete you want to row with. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I'm joined as ever by Marlene Royal. Hello, Rebecca, and hello to our Faster Masters Rowing Radio audience. It's nice to see it. Nice to see everybody. Exactly. Back after the Thanksgiving long holiday. And uh, I've been looking forward to it. Let me say, it was very lonely doing a podcast on my own last week. I won't go away very often, but it was it was a holiday. So every once in a while, rowing coaches have to take a holiday day off, too. This is important. Exactly. <laughs> so... So we'd just like to thank everybody who's been supporting the podcast with a regular contribution. If you listen today and you hear anything that you think is useful or helpful, please consider making a donation. It's fastermastersrowing.com forward slash podcast, and your donation can start at one US dollar a month. Now, this is this past week. It's the part of the show where Marlene and I run through the things that we've been doing more broadly in and around rowing and uh, life, uh, and also to advocate for Masters Rowing. So we've got a few things that have been going on. So for people who weren't listening last week, I and Marlene will be speaking at the US Rowing Convention. They have added a whole day to the conference. Well, it's actually a half day. And happily, they're calling it Masters Monday. So we do like the alliteration. And Masters Monday is um, really good for um, coming and listening to three speakers. So we've got Jim Dietz, Will Ruth, and then Marlene and I are, are double-handing. And we're talking about an inclusive vision for Masters Rowing. And we're going to go quite broad and quite deep. You can attend whether or not you're a US Rowing member. It's a virtual conference, and it starts on the 6th of December and runs for three days. What else do we need to add to that? I, I think all of the information, if you go to usrowing.org and you click on the convention link, all of the information is there, how to sign up. And I believe that you can sign up for just a one day pass versus the entire conference as well. But all the information is on the US Rowing website. And um, and they usually do give access to it for quite a long time after the conference if you can't attend the live sessions. Yeah, it's extremely good value. And I think it's one of the good examples of things we did in lockdown that actually are good and we want to carry on doing things differently. So uh, the virtual conference, I certainly am welcomed. In the past week, I have also sent out the Legion of Rowers newsletter. If you're in the New Zealand and you'd like to be on it, uh, it's an organisation that runs one of the big masters rowing regattas. And in it, we have a conundrum. We have lost Darcy Hadfield's cup. Darcy was the first New Zealander to win an Olympic medal at the 1920 Antwerp Olympics. He won a bronze in the single. And although New Zealanders and Australians went to previous Olympic Games, they competed as Australasia and not as their individual countries. But anyway, he also won what's now known as the Diamonds at Henley Royal Regatta. And 
uh, was a cup awarded to him and it has gone missing. So they found his Olympic medal. Anyone listening in New Zealand who might be able to help us track it down, um, get in touch and uh, I'll put you in touch with the gentleman who is leading the search. He's called Brian Parr. We also uh, launched our concierge service. So this is for anybody who has a personal question about master's rowing. And it's an opportunity to book a 20-minute discussion, private Zoom with either me or Marlene to run through your personal situation and to see if in the long background that we both have in master's rowing and in coaching, whether or not we can help suggest solutions or opportunities or answer your questions. So go to fastermastersrowing.com forward slash concierge. And there's a calendar there where you can book a slot. And being as it's the first of the month, welcome to everybody in Europe, because we do the podcast earlier, so that fortunately people who are in the European time zones, including South Africa, sorry, you're not part of Europe, but you know what I mean, um, <laughs> you get to listen live if you want to. And of course, we published our new programme. So Marley, yes. what have you got? Great. Well, yes, that's when you said, what, what were you doing this week? I was like, hmm, what was I doing this week? Oh, yes, I was getting, we were getting December ready. So um, on the first of the month is when we publish our new monthly material for the people in the Faster Masters Rowing membership program. And um, in the training module, the programs, there, there are actually three programs in there to choose from this month. Um, the first program is focused on 1K base training. So this is for the people who may have their peak events in May, June. That might be our Australian, New Zealand members or people who will have their peak at the end of summer, which is more our North American schedule. This particular month, similar, similar schedule. So it works for both groups. And as we get closer to the peak dates after the first of the year in February, these programs are going to split off and be more specific to the timing of each group's championships. Our, our second program is for those who are focusing on the March head racing season. So that might be our um, UK members who have events in March. It may be the people who are going to the Heineken regatta in Amsterdam. So that's a key focus and your schedule is a little bit different from those focusing on the uh, summer events. And then we have a special program that we launched in December, um, which is for those of you who are going to focus on the Crash B Sprints. So um, the Crash B Sprints Indoor Rowing Championships is February 13th, and it will be held virtually this year. And this program is like a special program to focus on your race on that date. So um, we made, we've made a designated program for that this month, just like we did for the Head of the Charles last fall. So those are so you have to choose which program is more appropriate to what your training goals are right now. Um, our strength program align with the training programs. And then in the rowing lifestyle um, module, we included um, the elastic band travel circuit since it's holiday times. And many of you may be on the road or visiting relatives. And we want you to keep up with your training as much as you can. And Rebecca did a, a phenomenal article about um, the row, rowing toolkit that's got all kinds of really neat stuff in it. And um, and then in our bonus, it's a 
write up about a very special book. So I'm not going to tell you it. It's a surprise. So go into the bonus module and and check that out. Yeah. And just a reminder, the Crash Bees is a 2K erg race. So if you want to do a 2K erg or you've even thought that actually it'd be quite nice to just see how I do. I've never done one before or it's been in my case quite a few years since I've done one. You can, of course, follow the program. You don't have to enter the regatta. And there are other um, uh, erg races around the same time. I saw that Scottish rowing has the potential for a February erg champs, but they haven't confirmed a date yet. Um, so anyway, there, there are lots of lots of fun things that, that yes and and actually and and those options will be kind of worked into the program but mm. the um canadian indoor championships is january 30th and okay. just a bit of trivia for those of you who don't know what crash b stands for crash b stands for the charles river association of sculling has-beens and that is what crash b means and um, i'm sure there's probably a history of the crash b sprints on the website, but um, in case you ever wondered what that came from, that's what it, that's where where it's from. I love the idea of being has beens because actually, been. you know the names of the people who actually founded the event. None of them were has beens. They're all, all and they're all still rowing. They're all still rowing in the head of the Charles. People like the Tiff Wood and Tom Darling, and you know all all of those all of those sort of classic names, you know, they're all still out there too. So, yeah, I think the always was or still ours perhaps should be the alternative names for that event. Exactly, exactly. Now, today we have a very special guest who we are delighted to welcome to uh, Faster Masters Rowing Radio, Baz Moffat. Hello. Hi, hello. Thanks for having me. I, I love rowing chat. I'm, like, I've missed it. I've, <laughs> I love listening to all your chat. <laughs> Yeah, rowers can talk chat for yeah. a very long time, can't they? Oh, just before we end the indoor championships, the Irish indoor champs is the third weekend in January. I will add all of these dates into the show notes. But let's focus on Baz. So Baz is an amazing rower who is now on to a very new career. Tell us a little bit about you and your background in rowing and what you're doing now. Yeah, um, I'd say I was an amazing rower, Rebecca, very kindly. I think if I got, I think I'm an amazing rower now for a minute. You know, when you feel like you've still got it, if you haven't rowed for a while and you get on an erg and you're like, I've still got it. And then it's like, for a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I started rowing pretty late, actually. I was like 21 when I started rowing. Um, and just did it for the absolute love and joy of it. And I couldn't believe the camaraderie and, and, and connection that I had, like with the women that I was rowing with. Um, I quickly got disillusioned with the world of work and just started rowing more. And to kind of cut a long story short, I decided I was going to take a break from my career at 24, um, as you do. And I went to Australia. So I'm based in London. I, I went to Australia and Tasmania and just became part of their Tasmanian Institute of Sport program. I knew one of the coaches and it was all pretty low key. I could get involved with that. And I trained in Australia for about nine months, like kind of like a full time athlete. I wasn't at the standard of a full time athlete, but it was incredible. It gave me a chance to really 
learn my craft like at an older age you know like at kind of 24 25 I was able to really mess up and no one care like the regattas were insane like we were in single <laughs> they were two days nothing like that happens in the UK where you would race eight times in every single boat class and I would be with the J15s and the lightweights trialing for Australia all in the same regatta and just learning how to steer how to call how to be the the stroke how to be the bow it was it was such an incredible experience um, and, it, and it kind of really catapulted me up in terms of like my, my skills because I started so late. Then I came back, trial for GB, very lucky in my timing and I came at the start of an Olympiad where everyone's kind of like opens their doors. So I did all right in the trials and I got into the squad. I mean, it's harder than that, obviously. That's kind of essentially what happened. And then I got into the squad uh, 2004 um, and made it into the women's eight. And it was the women, the, back then, the, the, the scholars were like the, the sheroes. They were like the absolute champions. Like, you know, it was the, it was the Kath Grangers, the Fran Houghtons, the Debbie Floods, the people like, they were incredible. They had all the sponsorship and the eight was literally hanging on for dear life to like get funding, get coaching, get boats, like get part of the program. And it's great being a bit of a, it, I like that. I like being like the scrappy ones, like just kind of, you know, <laughs> You've got nothing to prove. No one had any faith in our ability whatsoever. And it was blooming awesome because we had absolutely nothing to lose. So we had such a great bunch of women all in trying to, you know, get it all sorted. So we qualified the boat for Beijing for the Olympics. Um, I was always the last person selected for every single boat I was in. So I kind of like was always that person, whatever boat I went in, the first thing people said to me, first thing my coach said to me was hold your knees. And the last thing the coach said to me as I left the GB team was hold your knees. <laughs> I was like, never mastered that. But it, um, but I, and then I, then I, I got dropped a month before Beijing. Um, but I don't regret it for one moment. I don't regret putting my absolute all into attempting to get into that boat and the margins at the top end of sport are so so tiny up until 2008 I got into the boat by absolutely nothing and then 2008 the tide just started to turn against me and I just didn't get selected so I retired at 30 became a personal trainer really enjoyed it really really loved coaching I did strength and conditioning with um, the 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 junior rowers and did lots of coaching of athletes and loads of different types of people had two children for those who have who have had children uh, will understand I got very interested in pelvic floor and I I got interested in pelvic floor personally but then I just couldn't quite believe how nobody was doing this and how nobody was integrating pelvic health with fitness it was a very medicalized profession and I was like that's not okay because all the medical, all the, the medics do a great job, but all they can literally get you to do is become pain free. There's not that rehab integration into sport. So I started to do get really, really passionate and um, yeah, literally so passionate about pelvic floor. And, and I worked one-to-one -one with lots of people, did groups. And then I just, I just knew there was more to it than this. And I wanted to have as big an impact as possible and so I hooked up with two other incredible women in their field, uh, uh, an NHS GP and an exercise physiologist who'd been part of the English Institute of Sport over here, leading all the physiologists with the Olympic and Paralympic teams and specialised in women's health. And we set up the Well HQ, which launched in January this year. 
but it's all around female athlete health across the life stages. And it's not just about the menstrual cycle and it's not just about one thing. It's about we cover puberty, pre and postnatal, menopause. We cover breast, pelvic health, menstrual cycle, hormonal contraception, psychology, nutrition, culture, everything, because we just really know that to make any impact, the you have to be holistic and you have to be all in. You cannot just pick one quick fix. So, yeah. You have set yourself a gigantic vision. And yes, I'm very <laughs> to, to be invited to um, be part of some of your early discussions about what you might talk about and how you might talk about it. And the thing that I have particularly enjoyed is joining your online community where you have built a, a social media platform, which is not on any of the big names that we know, explicitly for people who are interested in this, men or women. And the discussions in there led me, as regular listeners will know, to pull together a period pack, a court short kit Amazing. to go into our changing rooms at the rowing club. We have two buildings and we put together, you know, a collection of pads and tampons in a box that says, please help yourself. And that was very interesting, putting the proposal to our male dominated committee. I bet it was. And... It's um, it's people feel that women come on like leak or don't have the right products because they're lazy or they're unorganized or they just, you know, they just can't be bothered. Whereas in actual fact, any person that's had a period knows that throughout life, there are times when our period isn't regular and it's not our fault. And it's not because we haven't got the right stuff. It's just just how our bodies work. And we know that it's something like 90 percent of women will leave their place of work or their sports venue if they come on their period without a product and leave the venue. So just having a little basket of products available for them means they're going to stay there and they're going to and they're going to feel like you actually really care about them. So well done, Rebecca. I can imagine the conversations that happened and I'm really pleased that you pushed through on that. Well, thank you. I actually wasn't in the room for the conversations. <laughs> <laughs> you just stimulated the conversations. Right? Well, you, well, you guys. The gave, action, right? You did the action. You gave me the idea. So today we've invited Baz on partly because we're the first big group of older athletes that she's really addressed. And obviously being a rower, it's lovely. It was lovely to pick you out of the three of you to come and talk to us. And Today, Baz is going to give us a rundown of four really big areas. Pelvic health in general, big topic, bladder irritants, bowel health, and then we're going to end with strength and conditioning in midlife. Now, if you're listening live, please feel free to use the comments thread below where you're listening to ask any questions. And what I will do is I will introduce them in as Baz is talking when we get to a suitable break. Marlene, is there anything else you want to add before we open the floor to the big topic of pelvic health? No, I, I think we're ready to go. Hit it, Baz. It's all yours. Okay, perfect. Right. So um, I've got my pelvis with me. I go everywhere with my pelvis. It's been everywhere. And um, when I decided that I wanted to become a pelvic health expert, I was 38. I'd been on uh, not, uh, not the best, but one of the best rowing teams in the world. And I'd had two children. And no one had ever mentioned the pelvic floor to me. And if they had, they'd mentioned it in passing and they'd never really explained to me like what it was, how to do my exercises or anything like that. So I was like, I need to go and find out about this. And this is a female pelvis. 
and this is the pelvic floor. And you can see here that it's a group of muscles and ligaments. So that's your that's your pubic, but this is, a, this is for females. It's your pubic bone at the front, it's your coccyx at the back, and it, um, and it attaches to both. It's like a hammock underneath. We've got loads of muscle around the back passage and a small amount around the front. There we go, we're pointing to it here. Um, and the role of the pelvic floor is to hold everything up. So within this pelvic bowl, you've got the bladder at the front, your uterus in the middle, and your bowels at the back. So that is what, so, so it's got, it, its role is to hold everything up and to keep you dry. So it should be strong enough to um, hold up the weight of your body on top of it and then um, resist any, any increase in pressure, be that from laughing, coughing, sneezing, or lifting heavy weights, which we'll move on to, or like landing, jumping, hopping, that, or, you know, double unders in CrossFit, that kind of thing. So, it shouldn't, it shouldn't leak. You shouldn't be leaking wind or urine or feces, but we know that many women do. And we know, fascinatingly, that the athletic community have higher rates of dysfunction than the normal community, than the normal general population. So we have very little, we've, we know that only 6% of sports science research is done exclusively on women. So we have very little knowledge so within that 6%, like the pelvic floor is going to have a tiny percentage. We know very little as to why the athletic community have higher prevalence. Um, there's some amazing research being done in Norway to trying to work it out. But essentially, the higher the impact of the sport, the more prevalent this um, this dysfunction is. So, um, you know, if you're thinking gymnastics and trampolining, they have 80, 90% of the girls and women doing that sport will be wetting themselves doing during training or competition. Now, rowers are clearly low impact. However, this is masters, okay? So as soon as you add babies and menopause into the mix, 50%, upwards of 50% of women will have prolapse issues or stress incontinence issues. And what my what the problem is, is that it's normalized. That dysfunction is normalized in sport. So people joke about it, people ignore it, people just don't engage with it. And in and if they're um, feeling really uncomfortable, they just don't talk. So we're, we're kind of normalizing this dysfunction. So if you flipped that word leaking for pain instead, people wouldn't put up with pain every time they landed or every time they coughed. They go and get some help. And that's not happening in pelvic health. So the kinds of signs that it's dysfunctional are... Stress incontinence when you leak because of an increase in pressure. Urge incontinence, which um, is... Uh, which rowers can and that's when you you're, you're out on the water you're absolutely fine and you get back to the boathouse and you just cat you have an irresistible urge to empty your bladder and you cannot hold on any longer or bowels um there's um and then constipation can be a sign of dysfunction and we know that that um, increases with age and i'll be talking about that in the bowel section um lower back pain uh pain with penetration be that because of a medical examination or sex or wearing tampons any bleeding, any pain, um, all these things are signs that pelvic floor is not doing so well. The, um, the, the old school approach to, to helping with pelvic floor health was doing your Kegels, all right? And I'm sure that most of you listening now are doing your Kegels because not talking, everybody starts doing their pelvic floor exercises. Um, and that's kind of okay. If I equated it to a rowing stroke, uh, a Kegel is kind of like doing hands only on a rowing machine 
and then never ever getting in a boat or never progressing to full slide. So a Kegel is the start, right? So a Kegel, you have to get the Kegel right. You have to be able to isolate your pelvic floor. You have to just use your pelvic floor exercises, not squeeze your eyes or lift your eyebrows or tense your glutes or get your tummy on. You have to really just isolate that work. So it's kind of like rehabby um, physio kind of work. But then we have to integrate that pelvic floor with whatever we're asking our body to do. And that's the bit that is not done at all. So we need to 100% do our pelvic floor exercises, whether we have dysfunction or not. Everyone should be doing their pelvic floor exercises. But then we need to start integrating it. And with simple moves like your yoga stretches or your your lower level Pilates work or your any kind of um, body weight circuit work, you can 100% get pelvic floor exercises in there. And we kind of need to minimize the things that are going to be um, harming it. As a, Rebecca, have you got any questions? Did, was any of that new and did it make any sense to you? Well, for me, definitely some of it was new insofar as the degree of comprehension of when leaking happens. Um, my personal experience is I could tick quite a lot of those boxes that you described. And actually, since I was a teenager, nothing to do with being midlife now. No. Um, and so it makes me curious as to how, as a society, we failed to notice that this is an issue. Because it happens to women, being feminist about it. Okay. <laughs> but now we're not. We're now, we are making it an issue now. Yeah, uh, honestly, it's because it happens to women and because it, um, men have pelvic floors as well. They have dysfunctional pelvic, but yeah, their pelvic floors, you know, they, they either have erectile dysfunction or they, you know, they start leaking, but that becomes, that comes with age and pancreatic cancer. That's like, so it's very much, and it doesn't happen to everybody, but it's kind of mm. consequence of aging because women have three holes and we, some of us will choose to have babies. Some of those babies will be delivered vaginally. And because we have menopause, which is inevitable, every single woman will go through menopause. And estrogen plays such a critical role in a woman's muscle strength. As soon as that estrogen drops, like whether you've had children or not, like your pelvic floor will be affected. Um, and I think as, as a society, it's, it's, it's hidden. The dysfunction is kind of hidden because it's like on the inside of us. And... Mm. And it's something, and I just, and I feel within the athletic community, it's particularly taboo because we are physically incredible specimens. We have an arrogance about our physicality. So when something, something that is, that feels so normal and average and what every woman should be, every woman's body should be doing isn't working with us, it's really hard to admit that. It's really hard to say, but my, I can, I can you know, I'm on the rowing team or I'm like going to race at Henley or whatever that is. Like, how is, how is sex painful now? Or how, how would that just seemed like I should be able to do that if I'm so good at other stuff? Yeah. Could you say what, explain what prolapse is? Yeah. So, um, prolapse, so you, your vagina should, it should be strong enough. Like, uh, the vagina wall should be strong enough to hold up the weight of everything that was in that is in the pelvis right so the bladder the bowel and the uterus if you have one like if you've had a hysterectomy your uterus was likely to have been removed a prolapse is when the vagina isn't like loses that ability to to kind of like hold up the weight of what's inside now 
when you say prolapse, people have a really physical reaction. It's like, oh, my God, do not talk to me about prolapse because it sounds disgusting. And they just imagine everything falling out. There are different levels of prolapse. So sometimes people have like they might, especially postnatally, they might have um, just get a dragging feeling in their vagina or a dragging feeling um, once they once they carried their baby for a long time or after they've done a hit session or a circuit session but when they lie down and they go to bed in the morning it's fine so that's kind of like an underlying kind of prolapse um, and that level one level two prolapse which is just where there's a slight laxity in that wall it's not like totally it's not totally broken but it's kind of like there's a slight laxity there that can be fixed with um pelvic floor exercises pelvic floor exercises and these amazing pessaries that are being uh manufactured now specifically mm. for exercise and if i have a prediction when it comes to pelvic health i think many women will be starting to wear pessaries to protect their vagina to protect their vagina during exercise so i think more younger women will be starting to wear these pessaries because women to be honest haven't trained hard for very long we kind of don't really know what is the impact of all this heavy training that women have been doing it's like People who are in their 50s now, 50s and 60s, are the first group of women that have trained hard. We've got no clue like what impact that's had. And I think that the harder women train, the more the more we will learn and the more preventative we will get so that we can stay long, we can stay fitter and healthier for longer. You make some really good points there. And it is actually something that Marlene and I reflect on um, quite regularly, which is, you know, what's we are the first group to have done anything really i work with sports doctors i work with sports and exercise science doctors who are seeing women in their 50s with osteoporosis and it's because they didn't have a period in their 20s but no one knew that that was bad everyone just thought that's kind of okay but no one really understood the consequences of a lack of a menstrual cycle and that that impact that had on their bone density and so now in their 50s these really highly fit capable women are coming in with osteoporosis and it's like we just we never knew that when we are learning so much. Right. Are you ready now to dive into Bladders. topic number yeah. two? So I'll, I'll, bladder I'm going to broaden it out slightly, Rebecca, but yeah, essentially bladders. We'll do bladders and a bit on the irritant. So most people don't know how many times a day they should be going to the toilet and to empty their bladder. And they kind of don't know. They probably don't even know how many times they go. So the answer is that you should be going to the toilet five to seven times a day to empty your bladder. And it, you should be weeing for about eight to 12 seconds. Now, that's kind of like the norm. All right. Slightly outside of that is going to be grand. There will be people listening to this who go who say who have like a badge of honor and say, oh, I, I have an iron bladder and I only need to go a couple of times. I never need the toilet. And then you have other people at the other, other end of the spectrum who go little and often, literally all the time. So why it's important to have these healthy habits is because as we age, the pelvic, the, the, the pelvic floor holds at the bladder. OK, so if you're going little and often, your pelvic floor essentially only has the strength to hold about a very, very small amount of urine. As soon as your bladder fills up and it gets a bit heavier, that that pelvic floor is like hypersensitive to what's going on and you're just reacting too quickly to that urge to go. The, the, the issue with never going is that 
the bladder should should comfortably hold 300 mils, 400 mils. By the time you get into 500 mils, it's kind of at full stretch. 600 mils, it is way beyond what it should be capable of holding. And when we're young, we have really good quality connective tissue. So even if the bladder's overstretched, it will bounce back. As we lose that connectivity, that, that, that collagen within our system, it stops bouncing back and you get what's called a, a floppy bladder. <laughs> And nobody wants a floppy bladder because then you've like you've lost that ability to retract. So we need to have really good health habits. And it's important if you've got children to kind of like give ensure that they have really good bladder habits, too. So you need to be going every three hours or so. Um, and you should be getting an urge. You should be like, oh, I've got an urge to go. And you should respond to that urge to go. When it comes to irritants. As we age, unfortunately, our bladders become more sensitive. So we become more sensitive. I think the well, four or five big ones are sugar, caffeine, alcohol, the cold and spices. So you might find that you're kind of like, OK, but as soon as you have a few drinks, as soon as you have a few glasses of Prosecco, like you just need a wee all the time or that you're you're fine in the summer months. But in the winter, like you're really, you're really, really cold and no one really understands why it happens with like cold water swimmers. And, um, you know, when you're going for dog walks and stuff in the freezing cold, people be, think it's might be because you, you, you're you using so much energy your metabolism is raised to keep you warm, but your urine becomes more concentrated and therefore it starts to um, and, and, it you know, and, and that con- increased concentration of urine um, kind of irritates the, the kidneys a bit and the bladder. Um, no one really knows, to be quite honest, why it happens with the cold, but it definitely affects it. And aging, we just get more sensitive. So it's worthwhile knowing that. And it's worthwhile going, OK, so actually, if I don't have a coffee in the morning, I'm, I am I don't have that urge to empty my bladder whilst I'm training. So that's OK. I can have a coffee afterwards. But just having that knowledge that kind of really refined carbohydrates or kind of sugar, alcohol, caffeine and the cold are likely to start irritating our bladders as we get older that is very interesting and there is definitely in my life i have definitely adjusted things like eating and drinking before and after training not Mm -hmm. always in response actually to bladder situations sometimes weight loss trying to extend my overnight fast and things like that yeah yeah have a question would swimming be better for women than rowing in terms of fewer complications um i don't like so though i don't like telling women what to do if they want to do something else you know like so i think there was a um yeah i yeah there's examples of like you know saying oh well you I think if women love rowing, they love rowing. They're not going to want to swim. So I think in terms of complications, I don't quite understand what they mean by complications. But I think um, I think there, there are 100 percent ways of help of like you being able to manage your pelvic floor dysfunction, whatever sport you're doing. So like swimming and rowing are like they're both low impact. I can't see any difference there. Um, so I wouldn't say so. No. That's very clear. Now, ready to move on to the next big subject. Yeah, bowel. This is great. This is like I've um we've co-authored a course <laughs> for the um we've co-authored a course for the Open University, which is being launched in January, February next year, all about female athlete health, and it's free. 
and I was talking about constipation and bowels and I was, as we were recording it at, at the Open Uni and we had the film crew there, I was like, my mum is going to be so proud that I am presenting <laughs> on the Open University and talking about constipation, but it's an important topic. And when I, when I talked about bladders, I said, you need to respond to your, uh, you, you need, you can kind of, you need to, you know, you need to be going two to three hours, every two to three hours. And if you leave it a little bit, it's kind of okay, as long as you don't leave it for far too long. Bowels are really different, okay? And um, especially things we're talking to the sort of the midlife audience here. Um, we, going back to basics, bowel movements are excreting waste products, okay? So it's, it's excreting all the waste products from your body, including hormones. So midlife women have a lot of hormones. It's a stressful state. Midlife is stressful regardless of how, like, amazing you are regardless of how you are experiencing midlife it's like motherhood like early motherhood it is stressful that your your stress hormones are high we have to get rid of these hormones once they've been in our system if you are not if you are not going to the toilet you are not excreting these hormones and therefore they are reabsorbed and have to be stored and they are stored around your middle and they are layered up in fat and they're stored around your middle. And that's why midlife women struggle so much to lose weight if they are stressed. Stress is a huge factor. Stress and lack of sleep and constipation, those three things tend to be all tied up. Um, and you can't, you cannot lose weight if those three things are happening. Not that this is all about weight loss, but it's all it's about good hormonal health. Um, so you when you get an urge to go to the toilet to empty your bowels, you have 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes to go to the loo. Now, the issue is that people don't like going to the toilet unless they're at home. All right. They only like going to the loo at home. They won't want to go at the rowing club. They won't want to go at work. They won't want to go out when they're out and about. But it's really important that we respond to that urge because if we don't respond to that urge, unlike your bladder, which keeps like telling you you need a wee, the, the, the bowel just gives up. It just doesn't it just you just you just do not get that messaging into your head that you need to go to the toilet and it just kind of starts to build up as the you know you've seen this pelvis many times now as the um the bowel the bowel fills up it pushes on the bladder which means that stress incontinence all those issues around pelvic floor become far more um like far more likely if you are constipated as we age our digestion slows down. So it takes longer for the food to get round our bowels, which means that more water is extracted from them and therefore it's harder to pass. So it's like being a woman, because we are more stressed, and that is that is fact, that's not just me being feminist about it, because women are, have higher stress levels and because lack of estrogen and increased levels of progesterone, it means that we that we're far more likely to be constipated and it's really important that we're not and people aren't talking about this and so it's and it's not just and I think it's there's many ways to to help women with constipation it's it's 100% not not always not ever really well it can be a medical issue but comp, complementary health therapies work incredibly well naturopaths work well the position that you are on the toilet makes a huge difference so making sure that your knees are higher than your hips as opposed to the other way around. So Western toilets are designed because we're too lazy. Western toilets are designed for your hips to be above your knees. You want to just stack your feet up on a little toddler step or a little handyman step or an Amazon box to get the knees up. 
leaning forward and relaxing and letting go and responding to the urge. But I think for midlife women, um, you know, it's, it's essential that they just don't accept being constipated and they get into really, really good bowel health because it makes a huge difference. And you will notice if you're tracking your menstrual cycle, um, you will notice how the hormones affect like your digestion and your constipation as well and it might be like okay at certain times of the month I need to make sure that my hydration is like on it and my um and my you know the amount of fiber and the amount of vegetables I'm eating is, is also really really important there is so much in this I am scribbling furiously to keep track and I'm going to have to listen to this again with <laughs> great detail <laughs> Do you know why the estrogen progesterone balance changes affect bowel health and constipation? It's the, it's the so estrogen is the kind of like the confidence giver and the kind of you know and that's like in the first half of the cycle and the, when you've got when you've got a regular cycle, progesterone calms everything down, right? So cut so progesterone like it is far more complex than that, but essentially progesterone calms the system down, which is because you know it's the egg like biologically the egg should have been fertilized and it's a time to kind of like create life but it's just calming things down and so it slows us down and I think that it just so like as you know as the stool is working its way around the bowel there's, there's longer time for water to be extracted from that stool which just means that it's so I know for me that I like definitely like the, the third week of my cycle I'm far more likely to get constipated but once I knew that I was like oh okay like that's a pattern I get it like I understand that now as opposed to it just randomly happening and me not being able to do anything about it so anticipating and knowing and not causing a further anxiety and stress around so your own yeah and I think you know we we call it body literacy but it, it's so important because I've just gone through there some some what normal is so I feel it's really important that women have a great reference for what normal is. It, it doesn't have to be exactly that, but we have to have a good understanding of what is normal. And then we kind of have to understand what our bodies are doing. And then you know when things start to go wrong because we are notorious at leaving things so late. And then the later you leave things, the more medicalized the options are. And so if you're if you go and get help from a women's health physiotherapist or, or your GP or a doctor because you're leaking a little bit or sex becomes a little bit more painful, like there are so many options open to you at that stage of the game. If you leave it till you're in your 70s and you've got and you, you're incontinent and you're having to wear pads and you've got to have incontinence sheets, like the image, the, the options for you are so medicalized and just not nice. And it's like, well, I think and I think rowers are really bad at this like I just think we are we have this mindset of like pushing through like oh it doesn't I'm knackered but I don't it doesn't matter I'm going to do this and and it's actually when it comes to our health it's being able to really listen really listen and know what our bodies are about is a real skill and it's not a weakness and it's not because we're woo and it's not it's a real weakness and and in the UK um we work with a gynecological cancer charity called Eva Peel and they have a brilliant campaign called Dying of Embarrassment. And they're literally like, people are dying of embarrassment because they are too embarrassed to understand this part of their body. And that's like the rates of gynecological cancer in the UK are, so, are really bad considering how wealthy we are and how great an NHS service we've got. Because women just don't, they're just, they're just mortified and they don't want to know. And not paying attention is probably yeah. the worst yeah, it is. Because then you, as soon as if you notice the little changes 
and and things don't niggles don't get better when you enter midlife do they they don't like you don't get a bad back and suddenly the next day you're all right in your 20s that does happen you're like oh you got a bad back one day and it's fine the next day and you can kind of ignore it like as we get older you just can't ignore the niggles they just keep on they just get worse and, it, and it, i i kind of say our body's just like whisper to us and you ignore it but that whisper just becomes louder and louder and louder until you can't ignore it and it stops you doing what you love and it stops you like yeah training and competing and just being the you know the person that you want to be so final block of information and i'm getting ready to dribble again strength and conditioning in midlife yeah so so I was talking uh, last night to a bunch of uh, Irish coaches who are training in a different sport, but they're kind of like that. They're, they're they're kind of like athletics and running, and um, and strength and conditioning is not the kind of thing that they tend to do much of. They do lots of their sports, but they don't tend to do much of the strength and conditioning side. I there's a there is the evidence base is that from the age of thirty, women lose muscle strength or muscle mass and muscle strength, and also bone density. So if we weren't doing no exercise, which I know is not you guys, but if we were doing no exercise, our bone density levels would reduce and our muscle strength and muscle mass would reduce too. That can be counteracted with exercise, okay? So we can counteract that rate of decline with exercise. But then this kind of, it's not really an evidence base, but there's like, there's this kind of belief that you need to, uh, women need to lift really, really heavy weights. And I get that. I get that, like, the bigger the load going through the body, the bigger the reaction on the bones, the bigger the reaction on the muscles. And um, that's got to be a good thing. My issue with lifting super heavy is that not very many people can do that. Like I have, um, I've been training my whole life really. So like, since the age of 14, I've been doing some kind of training, like, you know, I did athletics and went rowing and all that kind of jazz. You can imagine the training that I was doing. I have pretty good lifting technique. And I also do my, there's a difference between my one rep max and my three rep max and my eight rep max and my 10 rep max There's a difference. Unless you have trained really hard, there kind of isn't a difference. There isn't a difference. Your your function and your form is your limitation because you just don't have the ability to lift heavy. It doesn't mean that we don't need to aim to lift heavy, but I, I worry that people are going, oh, we need to do sets of four or five, whereas actually they could probably lift the same weight for eight. So like if you can lift the same weight for eight, you may as well lift eight. So huh. women women need to lift weights. And that, but they need to be taught amazing technique first. They need to have really, really good technique because we know that women are twice as likely at the shoulder and the ankle to get injured and four times as likely at the knee to get injured than men. Our, our rate are, we are more likely to get injured. And that's part, there are modifiable risk factors in there and there are unmodifiable, like how our skeletal system is made. So it's really important that we treat, we, we coach women well. If I was coaching a highly trained person, someone who, someone, I don't like, kind of like me, right? Someone who'd like trained their whole life, knew what they were doing, I would 100% get them to be lifting heavy. But, um, and I would, 
um, like yeah, three times a week. If I had someone that had never done any strength and conditioning, then I would focus on excellent form. I would focus on big lifting. I wouldn't worry so much about the supplementary exercises if they were limited on time. I would very much focus on the squat and the deadlift and the bench pull and the bench press. Um, and I would just get as much load through their system as I could, but but with absolutely fabulous technique. And I'd also make sure that they were breathing. Like, and so if you think about this pelvic floor piece that I've just been talking about, if you are breath holding, then there is immense amounts of pressure going down through that pelvic floor. So the classic way of teaching strength and conditioning comes from a performance model, all right? And these guys and girls at the top who have to lift huge amounts of weight, 100%, need to hold their breath right that is the only way to stabilize that core by creating this like unit inside that is just jam-packed of air and it creates that stability most of us do not need to do that right? <laughs> most of us do not need to hold our breath but unfortunately that model has just been regressed so everyone's taught to hold their breath if you're lifting 20 10 20 30 40 kilos you do not need to hold your breath like you can do that with a lovely flowing breath which does not um then damage or i don't mean to say damage i don't like to say damage but doesn't like push down on that pelvic floor which will may already be susceptible because of your age and because of the fact you've, you've had kids or you know you're going through menopause um so i just think we need to be a bit more nuanced in in the way that we consider strength and conditioning 100% needs to be part of any midlife menopausal training program, but we need to really understand the background of the women that we are working with and, and go right, like, and meet them where they're at, but then move them up that, con up that continuum. Well, Marlene, I think that reflects very well on the programs that you write. Well, we try to keep, to keep this in mind and do things that technically are not so complex for people to master from a technical point of view, which is one of the reasons we often stay away from the Olympic lifts. I mean, classic rowing exercises were, were Olympic lifts, but it takes so much time to master the technique of a clean when you could use other exercises that accomplish the same thing that are a lot more effective. And, and I think we also want to have exercises that um, people can do at home. So if they yeah. don't have an, if they don't have access to a gym, they can have some dumbbells at home. They can have they can have kettlebells at home. They can do a lot of body weight exercises. So we also, you know, if they have access to a gym, that that's great. But um, I think you can accomplish so much even at home if you have a good set of kettlebells and you have you know have some good and with body weight and good resistance training and yeah. really really focus on the technique. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, rowers are like, it's a breathing sport, like, isn't it? Like our breath is such a fundamental part of our movement that like, it, like transitioning that breath over into your into your strength and conditioning is kind of a natural progression. But I think that, you know, that that breath holding, it just annoys me. It's like, why are you even doing like, and I, I think that the whole thing annoys me because it's like, you're not even thinking about who you're training. Like, why do that? They, they don't need to breath hold. They are nowhere near anything maximum. Like, why are you even teaching that? And um, yeah, and I just think it's just you just need to you need to look at who you've got and go, OK, well, we've got a blank piece of paper and this is kind of what we want to be doing. But don't I think many sports come midlife. Midlife is just so confusing for them because it's just not part of like 
it's not part of a progression, like a junior to elite progression, which is kind of how sport works, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. like, we'll get the juniors in and we'll work our way up. And the better coaching you get, the, the higher level you'll coach. We're not, we don't want you to be like the best at under 23. If you're a great under 23 coach, we'll put you in the senior team. And, and if you're with the, if you're great at the women, we'll put you in the men. Like, you know, it's all that. But then, but then you get to midlife and you're like, oh, like, how do we even coach this? Because it's not, they're at the other end and we haven't even considered any of it. Well, in one, one of your, no, no. It's one of the reasons why um, people who are structurally in charge of organizing sport find this group so challenging because mm -hmm. we've got to the stage where we're at which might be I have never done anything and I'm just starting or I've been an elite or a regular athlete and I'm coming down and getting less strong but wanting to stay active and because the group is not homogeneous it makes it very challenging to organize for that group and and a frequent complaint we hear is for example I want to become a rowing coach so I took a rowing coaching course or several and they are only focused on safety and managing juniors. And then you get into the sort of intermediate tier and it's talking about heading towards elite racing. And there's nothing for recreational. There's nothing for, um, I just want to stay fit. There's nothing for, I am, you know, not going to race, but, or I'm going to race 1K, not 2K. You know, so there's actually a very big void. Yeah, and it's, it's such a shame that, that you can't, there's no value placed on the brilliant people working with those groups, like how, and, and the impact that those amazing people can have, like on those, yeah, I just think it's, I think it's ridiculous, yeah. I have a question, Baz. Um, in one of your recent videos that's on YouTube, you do, it's a, it's a brief like seven, eight minute video, and you, you talk about four very typical exercises that people might do in boot camp, right? You do the dead bug, the plank. Um, you talk about the Russian twist, the, these kind of you know classic yeah. core exercises. And so one of the points you make is um, that that's really from the pelvic floor point of view is for women to pay, when you're doing these types of exercises, pay attention to keeping your core long and making sure that your stomach doesn't puff out. And I thought that was a really, those were really good points. So if we were to say to someone, okay, I, I'd like to give one of my women athletes a stationary exercise to do sitting in the boat or sitting on the erg. When she sits down in the boat, what would you cue her on? Like, for example, like if we were thinking about, okay, how would you, would you cue someone the same way to like, you know, think of staying yeah. tall, lengthening your core, or how I would you feel this deep? Every core, every time I watch anyone describing core exercises, it's like, hold the core. <laughs> like, that is the cue. And the core doesn't work like that, right? So you've got the pelvic floor on the bottom, right? Pelvic floor on the bottom. You've got the diaphragm up here, and you've got the, uh, like, deep abs at the front and the, the back, at, you know, the back at the back, the deep back at the back. But the, the the two I'm most interested in is the pelvic floor and the diaphragm. They work together, okay? They're two dome-shaped muscles. And as the diaphragm comes down, as you inhale, the pelvic floor should come down. And as you exhale, the pelvic floor should lift. And the, and the core unit will come in and support you. By gripping and holding, we're kind of like, stopping that we're stopping this and it's it's the belief that that the that the core is a static unit 
It's not. It's dynamic. And so if you want something to be dynamic, you have to give it a bit of flexibility to work with. So the, the core works dynamically. It, it, it kind of relaxes and it comes up. And even when you're racing super, super hard, it's still moving. It is not holding, gripping and holding. So the cue, I love the, the length, the length, the length gives you everything. I always say that a long muscle is a strong muscle. And that's a very different concept to gripping and holding and protecting and it, when I was in the rowing team which was kind of like you know 10 13 14 years ago it was all about gripping the, the tummy to protect the back because we all have back issues but that we now know that that is such an old-fashioned approach to the core that it's it works dynamically and you've got to use your breath and support it so I would I would like that that length and that almost that lightness on the seat you want to be light on the seat not sitting into the seat and even at the finish it's that it's that lightness isn't it and and you can keep you can keep your core long the whole way through the stroke the whole way like even at the finish like your the core is long isn't it and i and i always like translate that into every single exercise i do like in strength and conditioning on the ergo during your core your core workouts but that long and understanding them that it's long and then the stuff on the inside can do its job it's so, so interesting that time. so many yeah road so many core exercises are taught in a prone position and you're never lying down in a rowing boat so you're not <laughs> no, do them in the positions that we typically do in our sport yeah so and that's you why you know that's why the deadlift and the um, and the high pull and the squat like you i talk about long core there like you, you need a long core to do that and it's like it's like Oh, and especially when women have come, like if you, you're coaching women who've come back from having children or have put on weight and haven't rode for a while and have come back, they just cannot feel their core. They're like, it is disconnected. I get my legs and I get my arms, but literally nothing is happening inside this tummy. And it's, you just, you need to like get it alive. <laughs> you need to get it alive and you need to kind of load it up, but in a way that's connected with the movement. It's all about right. connection. And I just think rowers are so good at connection. They get connection. They get how important the feet are. They get how important that foot connection is to the blade. And like, but it has to go through the core. And for many women, that's that's hard because of the life, you know, the life they've, they've had. Like they just, it's just not there. And it, it, it is there. They just can't feel it. And they just need like help and support to just keep refocusing. But I think gripping and holding is like the, like hold your core, grip your core. It's just like the worst call you can make. So it just doesn't do anything. Is there a, could there be a, com, a a connection, for example, like in the Kegel exercises, when they talk about posture, they describe um, keeping your, like, think from your feet and keep, keep your weight very even on your feet and keep, you know, feel the, feel your feet and heels in the floor. And then just kind of draw the, your, your adductors in, just draw in a little bit. Now, could, could we equate that? in the boat as well connection on the feet 100 it all starts in the in the feet because that's like that's the that's the third arch in the body the foot arch is the third arch you've got the arch in the feet the pelvic floor dome and the diaphragm those are the three arches and if you ground your feet connect your feet fully like the whole foot fully and then you exhale and lift the pelvic floor you've got feet hips chest like the whole thing is connected, hundred percent. Get your pelvic floor exercises doing in the boat. Sounds awesome. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And see, well, yeah. 
because we do we have had issues when we talk about the connection of the feet and there are people who have a very difficult time holding the connection to the foot stretcher course, so yeah. now for our you know 50s or 40s 50s plus women who are ha learning to skull or learning to row and they they don't have good connection with your their feet that's also going to affect yeah. the pelvic floor and that and, whole connection yeah. to the core. And so, you'll see that. You cannot, you, if you've got no connection to the feet, there's nothing happening, is there? Like, there's so much loss. It's such a waste. If, yeah. Baz, you have been amazing. Opening our eyes to the beginnings of what is very clearly an enormous topic. Yeah, I could now, talk all day, as you can see. <laughs> as we wrap up, can you tell everyone about your Train Like a Woman webinar? Yeah. So tonight's all been about midlife and very pelvic floor focused. Uh, we've got a free webinar um, on on the 8th of December at eight o'clock British time. Uh, you can find it on our website and it where I'll be joined by Dr. Emma Ross and Dr. Bella Smith. And we will be going through all the topics that we cover where we feel women are particularly underserved. So we'll be giving you the evidence base, but we'll also be giving solutions and how sport and exercise can do better in that space. It's brilliant. And it's not, and like something that's really important to us, that although we're working with females, actually, like the biggest shift we are going to make is by getting the guys on board. So we need men, we need male allies, we need, because they're the people that are coaching the women majority of the time, like the girls and the women throughout their lives. And so although we are about women, we're not just for women. We really, are, we're really passionate about that and about creating a space where everyone feels that they can generally learn about this stuff without us like being really judgy and, yeah, yeah, kind of like criticizing them for not knowing. So the website address is thewell-hq.com. So yeah. well as in W-E-L-L. Yeah, and, and it's under, and the, the Train Like a Woman is under courses, courses and then talks, and then it, and it's just free to sign up and you can join us there. Be brilliant. I will include the link in. And the if they screen. can't make it, just sign up anyway, and then they get two weeks access so they can watch it over Christmas. <laughs> oh fun things to do over christmas yeah, if you exactly. have a covid cancelled christmas party I'll yeah, add right, right, right. baz it's been absolutely marvelous having you with us you have been an inspiration as i'm sure you get told over <laughs> and over again and i know that marlene and i both extreme gratitude and we will definitely come back and talk to you again about doing some more things with us uh, one of our live watchers has said, thanks so much for this best session yet. Oh, thank I'm you. Really thank you for having me. I've loved it. <laughs> so like, like me, looking forward to the webinar. Now, Marlene, any final little words before we wrap up this amazing and very different episode from our normal? Yes, well, I, I think some very, very important information for all of our listeners, men and women, and, you know, as coaches, we, we have to continue learning. And the way we continue learning is by thanking such people like Baz for doing this type of work, thanking, you know, thanking people for making it being accessible. So if we do something, we can bring it to our faster masters and, you know, start, you know, all of these things that we learn make the way into the training program. So they're not things that are isolated that, oh, yes, it's nice to talk about that. And then it goes away. You know, these are things that you know, we're constantly noting and constantly build those into our exercise selection, the tips we give you, the technical tips, you know, these things, um, you know, we want to integrate these things as much as possible. Yeah, we try to stay at the leading edge of um, good scientific research and best practice. And I 
I'm fairly sure that we're not the earliest adopters, but we're certainly not the laggards. And uh, I take enormous pride in being able to bring topics like this, to bring experts like Baz Moffat to you, our audience, so that you can, you know, help spread the word and offer objective uh, improvements that you can actually first try in your own rowing practice and then, of course, move into the people you row with, your clubs, schools, high schools and so on. Yes. And now, knowing that there's resources and knowing where to get this information, you know, that that's a big chunk of the the puzzle here is having a resource like this or having a resource like Faster Masters and other people that, you know, we want to know that you know where to go to get the information. Totally. Now, before we go, I have neglected to tell you who is in the beautiful photograph that I selected for this week. And this is from Heli Lucas, and she's from Commercial Rowing Club, which is in Brisbane, Australia. And I believe that that is them marshalling for the head of the Yarrow. It's certainly a head race where they're all uh, waiting, waiting to go off the start. There's a whole series of lovely images that she has chosen. So this has been Faster Masters Rowing Radio. <clears throat> the show dedicated to masters athletes who want fun, fitness and confidence in their rowing. You can become a student of the sport by buying a Faster Masters Rowing program subscription today at fastermastersrowing.com forward slash join. We look forward to seeing you all next week.